Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. On Friday, um, I was actually at, at the um, gym working out, still desperately trying to win the war with weight. <clears throat> I'm not on the winning side yet, but pray for me. Say amen. Thank you. I begin to simply reflect on a um, on something, and I don't know why. I was typically I'll be listening to some uh, teaching of some sort, and um, and so I was, and it had nothing to do with what I was reflecting on. On I went back and looked it up. And on February, uh, February the third, you can—it's online. You can go back and hear the extended teaching. But the concept of Lord, show us your glory. Now, you can go listen to the teaching because I, I have some other stuff I really feel like I'm supposed to say here this morning. But. I've been carrying this in my heart for two days, two and a half days. And I think the two things I have to share, this being the first and the second one in a moment, are are prophetic in nature. I said that to you two weeks ago. I want to say it again. I believe that all of the word of God is prophetic. You can't help but open scripture to any place in scripture And what I mean by prophetic, there is the imminent sense of God's presence bringing it to life. Okay? So the very nature of the Word of God carries that supernatural element with it that when we read it, there is something from another world and another dimension that is brought to bear. But even more pointedly, perhaps, when when I use the word prophetic, and I, I think two or three weeks ago I mentioned this to you, my favorite working definition is from a mentor of mine, Pastor Jack Hayford. And, um, and he said, the prophetic is a moment in time when God penetrates our humanity with a fresh sense of promise and purpose. It's a moment in time, such as when... God visited Mary, who would become the mother of Christ, in a prophetic visitation and said, you will have a child. That was a prophetic moment. Earlier in that same book, God would visit Zacharias and a prophetic moment say, you are going to have a child. It would become John the Baptist. So when I use the term prophetic, I don't mean just the supernatural mist or a glaze word. I mean when God penetrates our humanity with that promise and purpose or favor and promise. I believe that these two things that I have to say here today are that specifically for people in the room. The first being this, that this song we're singing, Show Us Your Glory, is from a passage of Scripture, Exodus 33. In chapter 32, Moses, a name you may recognize, who would lead the Israelites out of Egypt and, and to the threshold of the land of promise. Moses himself did not get to go in, but he would lead them for 39 years uh, to the, in the journey uh, to the threshold 
of, of partaking that promise. In Exodus 32, God calls him up on the mountain and gives to him what we know to be the Ten Commandments. I, for 20 years, I have threatened, I say that tongue-in-cheek, to do a series on the Ten Commandments. I really, someday I will, because I, I want to call it the, the Ten Declarations of Worship or the Ten uh, prohibitions to worship. In other words, if you read them in a negative sense, they're the things that block worship and block a fullness of life. Beloved, we would be well served to live by them today. I know they're not, they're, they're not posted in our schools any longer, and, and I know that, ironically, the, the very body that adjudicated they would not has them posted, that is the Supreme Court posted there, And I'm thankful for that even. But uh, at any rate, Moses is on the mountain and God gives him the Ten Commandments. God says to Moses, the people have lost their mind. They're worshiping a golden calf. Okay? Uh, Moses comes down. God's mad. Moses is mad. Moses smashes the ten, the first two tablets, uh, and smashes them. And he comes and and he rebukes the people, corrects them. It's fascinating reading. But listen, in Exodus 33, God says to Moses, "I'm not going to go with them. I'm going to send an angel, and I'm going to bless you, but I'm not going to go with them." Now, this is an amazing problem for Moses. And through that discourse, you may recall, uh, some of you may recall (laughs) six months ago, that there is an allusion to the fact that where Moses says, you know, I know you know me by name, but I don't, you know, I'm not even sure I know who you are. Please hear me this morning for the situations in life that we will face where you listen, listen to me, please. Someone sitting here this morning, and can I just say this? I don't have to be a prophet to speak prophetically because by simple statistics, what I'm about to say, if there's a handful of people in the room, it's going to apply to someone in the room. But the the point being that when you come to the place where you're saying, God, I don't even know that you're there. I'm not even sure. I'm still sure who you are. How many know there are plenty of people in the Bible who have gone there before us and made that statement uh, and that's an important thing to remember on the backside of recovering from that because you will recover from that. But notice what God says. It's right in the middle of this argument and this debate about God going and he says, yeah, I, 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 I don't even know who you are. And then he makes this statement all of a sudden. He says, Lord, show me your glory. They're not done with their conversation. It is mid-conversation. They're not finished with the conversation. And God says, okay, I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to allow you to see my goodness. The thing we come away from an encounter with God's presence is that overriding sense of God is good. And there are moments, and you say, well, there, will there be moments where I wonder that? Yes, Moses did. Habakkuk did. The prophets, the people in the Bible, they wondered. They rest. They wondered. They wrestled with it, and you will too. And and um, uh, I was while I was listening to that, a, a, a song that I had written popped up, and I hadn't listened to it in two years probably. But hmm. it says, enter here. Enter now 
God is here, hear His sound, draw near while He may be found, we're standing on holy ground, the Father is drawing near. can enter here. As that song began to play, it just tore me up. I was trying to hide in the gym because the next 30 minutes there were tears running down my faces. And I was just having an encounter, an unsuspecting encounter with God. So the first of two things I need to say here this morning. For those of you that are wondering if God is there and wondering if the God you've trusted on the front side of whatever you're walking through right now that's making you wonder, I wonder if all those things I've trusted and believed are true. There's an encounter here for you this morning. Now, why did God, why did he say, show me your glory and why did God grant it? Listen to me. Listen to me. We're a worshiping church that believes in the dynamic encounter of the Holy Spirit. Please listen to what I'm about to say. There are matters in life that will only be resolved by an encounter with God's presence. It's not cerebral. It's not the next meme, quote, or word of encouragement. It, ex- it, it, it exceeds and transcends all of that. Moses was saying, I need an encounter like I had 18 months ago at that burning bush. After I'd wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and thought the promises that I had heard as a child had passed me by and there was no way. And that bush began to glow and I saw the glory of the Lord and I asked for a name so I could nail you down. And the name you gave me wasn't one that could be nailed down. The name you gave me would defy limitation or explanation. You would say, I am that I am. And he so equipped me with that first thing and encounter with your glory at a moment of a burning bush in my wilderness when I thought everything had passed me by and everything had been done. You burnt on my heart forever, Father, this fact that even though I may feel as though I am lacking God says, I am able. Even though I feel that I am not able to survive, you are the God that says, I am. Even though I feel like I am not able to make it another day, you are the God that speaks from a burning bush in a moment of encounter. I am that I am. And for whatever you may be experiencing in your life today, Whatever you may be walking through where you're coming up with the conclusion that says, I feel like I am not. Go back to the key of F in that song. 
There is a God that speaks first from a burning bush and then from a mountain. And when he spoke on the mountain, he carved words into stone, but he wasn't done because he would speak to the prophets. And he said, there's coming a time where I will invite my people on a mountain of encounter, but I will not write it in stone. There will be a fire unleashed and my glory unleashed in their heart, but I will write it and inscribe it on their heart. There are moments that are only satisfied by encounter. And in that moment, chains fall, fear bow, hear now, Jesus, you change everything, lives healed, oh, here this morning right now we're going to end sermon number one shortly soon I'm going to have uh, a young lady you need to meet her name is Jenny she's going to come share a testimony with you not today but it's coming of an encounter two weeks ago and I just love the penetrating innocence and simplicity of her words. I remember where she was standing. I remember praying for her right there, where she described being touched by the Holy Spirit. And she says, I can't even tell you. Things begin to come out of me. She said, I feel like something that has been going on in my body physically for years. I was healed of it. There are some things that only encounter can resolve. It is not that teaching in the Word of God is not necessary, but it is encounter that takes those words, lifts them off of paper, and burns them on my heart as a point of irrefutable truth that is not just out there somewhere, but it is mine for the taking. Bow your heads right now. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Tom, as you were just offering that little sermonette, you described where I am right now. I am, by the way, I'm not going to ask you to get up, stand up, leave your seat, come down front. I do want to make eye contact with you. And I want to assure you that God began to speak to my heart about your moment today. Two days ago, he came and found me unsuspectingly. This is the first point of prophetic declaration. If you're here today and you're one of those, would you just lift your head and your hand? Let me make eye contact with you. You receive that today in the name of Jesus. You receive it, my sister. Look up here towards me. You receive that in Jesus' name. You receive that, brother. Hallelujah. An encounter with him today. Receive it, my sister. An encounter with him. Receive it, brother. Hallelujah. Receive that today. Receive that. Receive it, my sister, in Jesus' name. Receive that. Receive this word for you today here in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't want to miss anybody. You receive that in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for this moment. You receive it, son. You walk in that. Hallelujah. I love you, Father, and I praise you. I bless you, brother. Receive it in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for how you just ambush us with an unexpected points of encounter that we didn't see coming. We receive your word. We receive the encounter. Father, may they know it's to them today. 
to them today. Father, and may that bear resolve for whatever they're facing that has in it those words, I am not whatever. May they have an encounter. May you, the great I am, inscribe that on their hearts today in Jesus' name. So be it. Amen. Okay? I'm done with sermon number one, and we're not about to clap because I'm done. We're about to clap because God's word says, I'll clap my hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. It's a release of praise and it appropriates I believe whatever has been declared. So let's just take a second and do that right now. Come on. Hallelujah, Lord. We love you and praise you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Um, In a couple weeks, two weeks, I'm going to be wrapping up part eight. Uh, It will be part eight of this series on shame. And the last one will simply be titled, um, The Disease of Not Enough. And where it shows up most likely and most typically in our lives. We've studied, if you haven't been here for that, uh, leading up to last week. Now, last week we had our, our children's worship showcase at the end of our worship and arts camp. Um, but uh, we are, I've been doing a series, we've been doing a series on, on shame. And shame, the voice of shame, simply from Scripture, it starts in the Genesis, but it's the disease of not enough. It says, I'm not enough. And I'm not going to go into it or do any review this morning. We'll cover all of that in two weeks, and we'll wrap, wrap the series up for the time being. But rest assured, it's something that we'll be coming back to. The second part of today's teaching was this morning, I'd, I had made up my mind that I was going to talk about Exodus 33, and in a more expanded sense, I was going to talk about the glory of the Lord. But uh, early this morning, <clears throat> it's funny. Um, I, I interact with pastors on Sunday mornings and on the weekend, and, and we, we'll talk about Scripture. And this morning, uh, I received a phone call, uh, uh, the, the question about a particular passage of Scripture. And if I left the notes behind, then boy, will we have fun. Um, but it comes from Luke chapter 6, and I believe it starts in verse uh, 6. And I want to I want to talk to you briefly, the second group of people, and I don't know, maybe, maybe you can fall into both groups here this morning. Um, I want to talk about uh, the, the, the concept of restoration. Let's just jump into Scripture really quick. And here's the declaration I want to make. And again, a prophetic sense that there is a God that, that stopped by and maybe it fits with part one. I don't know. That's his business. But who wants to restore you? And we're going to talk about what that means. Luke chapter 6, verse 6. This is one of three places this story is recorded in the Gospels. Mark and Matthew uh, recorded as well. But it's Jesus. On another Sabbath, it says, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he healed on the Sabbath so that they might find reason to accuse him. Now, that's a loaded statement about the nature of religion and the religious mindset. Uh, and, and really, the, the Pharisees... By the way, here's another series I want to do. I want to do a series on the Sermon of Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I want to entitle it P-H-A-I-T-H. P-H-A-I-T-H. The faith of the Pharisees. Because the Sermon on the Mount is the response to the faith 
of the Pharisees. Every point. And if you read it through that lens, then it becomes more than just this list of nice platitudes or beatitudes. It becomes amazingly informative about how we are to live out the, the Christ life. Um, and it challenges a lot of, of notions that we typically live with. But the Pharisees were people so trapped inside their idea of God that they couldn't see God or know God when he visited them in the flesh. And you can say, oh, bad Pharisees, but beloved, we fall prey to that day in and day out, our own selves, me, I, us, we do that. Okay, so the Pharisees were there, and they were always looking to set Jesus up. Verse 8, but he knew what they were thinking. How many know that's the bad part about God, right? But he knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the withered hand, get up and come forward, and he got up and came forward. He knew what they were thinking. He knew that they were watching him. And so in keeping with that, how many know that he appears to have mild spirit of antagonism, right? He knew what they were thinking, and so he did this. I I don't know, but that's the part of him I think I really like. And maybe I have that spiritual gift somewhat myself. Uh, And he got up and came forward. Now, the man with the withered hand. Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath to save a life or to destroy it? After looking around at them all, he said to them, to him, the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. Now, those are the... the those are typically the points that you hang on in the story, noticing the angst of the Pharisees and then dealing with that. Here's my suspicion. Again, another thing I've never had the time through the years to develop is whenever you read something of Jesus and it's identified as being on the Sabbath, my suspicion is it's Jesus rectifying something that is broken. In other words, he's coming to fix a wrong idea. Uh, because, and here's the, the little fun phrase that I've played with through the years, is the Sabbath in the opening part of the Bible, the seventh day, was the, play, the time where God ceased from his work. To rest doesn't mean I need a break. It means it's done, okay? Uh, for instance, there's an old chorus. I was singing it early this morning. I, I reflected again on where it shows up in Second Chronicles 6. It's a verse taken from the prayer of Solomon when he's praying for the temple. They're bringing in, they're dedicating the temple. They're bringing in the Ark of the Covenant. And he says now, and this song says, Oh, the glory of your presence, we your people give you reverence. So arise to your rest and be blessed by our praise. For years, people would change the, we- the words and say, So arise from your rest as if come and bless us. But the verse says pointedly, So arise to your rest. Make this your resting place. He is saying, God, make this temple the place where you come and go, this is my place. This is the place that I'm going to hang out. Now, what's cool is in the New Testament, in the book of Corinthians, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. How many know that's a good place for us to pray, a good prayer for us to pray every day? Lord, make this your resting place. Come here and hang out. You know, let the journey stop right here with Tom. Don't pass me by. Right here is where it ends. Okay, so uh, here is Jesus fixing another problem that, um, and my tongue-in-cheek statement is, on the Sabbath, Jesus never got to rest. 
because he was trying to fix something they had broken so he could, if you will, take a break. But there's no break for the Savior because every Sabbath he was fixing something that was broken that led up to that rest for himself. Now, I want to push the pause button and read another passage of Scripture real quickly. Acts chapter 3. The book of Acts is written after Jesus Christ has lived died and ascended to the Father. Acts chapter 3 comes after the Holy Spirit has come. That's for the benefit of those of you who are new in faith. So these are important words. Uh, Peter will be speaking here and engaging the people of Israel. And so it's mid-conversation. He says, now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand, Acts chapter 3, I'm starting at verse 17, now verse 18. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets and his Christ, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord so that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of, here it comes, the restoration of all things about which God uh, spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Two things I want to say here. I've never said it this way before. It's been a decade since I've taught on this passage of Scripture. In Acts chapter 3, Peter stands up and says, I want to tell you what God's purposes towards you have been. Restoration. Restoration is God putting things back the way he made them. Restoration is God putting things back the way he made them. Why is that an important statement? Because he created human beings in the Garden of Eden and he made them as beings who would live, first of all, by the finality of his opinion, not the whispering hiss of a serpent. We've been studying that. We study that around here nonstop because it's at the essence, listen, of worship. Let me just digress and chase a rabbit for a moment here. Each of us suffer because we still listen to the hiss of the wrong voice. It can be an echo of something of the past. It can be, but make no mistake, it's the hiss of the serpent, and we don't listen to the opinion of God. Now, why is encounter so important through the years, the last two years in particular? I've told you that the word glory, doxa from dokia, is essentially, it comes from the word. I mean, you can go fact check this, Google it, look up in your Bible uh, uh, references and, and concordances and lexicons. It means opinion. Opinion, the opinion of God, the glory of God, the opinion in an environment where the opinion of God is not challenged by a thing is the place. See, we think of glory, listen, as the radiating splendor or majesty of a thing. And that is true. It is that radiating splendor and majesty and power of God. But guess how that splendor, majesty, and power of God is brought to bear? It's brought to bear only in an environment where God's opinion, that is his word, is final. Only in that moment. And so when we pray those moments, watch the little twist on this. I pray, Lord, show me your glory. 
I pray, Lord, show me your opinion. For every person here who earlier raised their hand, I want to tell you my prayer for you is, Father, may they leave this building with a fresh sense of having imprinted on their soul your opinion above whatever whisper their current situation is saying to them. Everybody get that? That is so very important. God is here to restore that. His idea of restoration at the end of all things will be a kingdom age in its fullness where his opinion is unchallenged. That is the fullness of all in all. Until then, that is happening incrementally. Now, what happens when God walks in to Jesus walked in to this Sabbath worship And makes this statement. By the way, there's one thing I need to say about Acts. It's very important. Did you notice verse 17 says, you acted in your ignorance. Verse 21 says, but God was restoring. Everyone look at me. Isn't it wonderful to know that what when you're busy acting in ignorance, God is not doing this. Oh, for Hey, come here. Do you see what they're doing? God is not doing that. We learn that. See, we think that because that's how humans are. They observe, they watch, and they assess. God is not doing that. When we are acting in the middle of us acting on our ignorance, according to Peter prophesying this to the people of God, he said, while you were acting in ignorance, God was planning your restoration. Here's the good news. In the middle of you saying or doing or acting out the next magnificently stupid thing, I want you to know this. While you're doing that magnificently stupid thing, God is busy planning your restoration from stupidity. Is that not worth saying thank you, Jesus, about? I've said this before. Listen, on the cross, the veil, the veil in the tabernacle in the temple, it separated the holy place, the place where God's presence would show up once a year in unadulterated intensity. Well, I don't know. I don't know that that's true, but in a measure of intensity that earth could handle, at least would show up there and the the, the priest would get to go behind it on the cross. That veil was there because of the profane existence of man's sin and it couldn't be exposed to the beauty of God's holiness. But on the cross, that veil was torn in two. Is it not wonderful to know that the cross made the provision? What is God doing in the midst of your next stupid act? The second, actually the first thing is he's busy tearing in half the very thing you're trying so hard to create. I like that. I need a way somehow to illustrate that. I need probably 15 sheets of paper or something. In other words, pretend now this is eight feet tall and 10 feet wide. And here I am trying to build this curtain to separate me in the midst of me doing my stupid thing. You know, blah, 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 blah. And it's going up. God is doing that. As fast as I can build them, God's doing that. As fast as I can do stupid things that get in between him and me, God is doing that. Is that not good to know? Now, I want you to pause right here. Turn to the person next to you and say, he is not preaching to me, but I'm certain that was for you. Go ahead and tell him that. Go ahead and tell him. Now, restoration. How many here are ready to be restored? Shout amen. How restoration is God saying, I'm putting it back the way I made it. And he does that on a daily basis. Now, 
We need to know, first of all, what brought the man into the room on the Sabbath was like-mindedness with everyone that was in the room. He was a worshiper of the law, and he had the same attitude toward Jesus in all likelihood as did the Pharisees, because their religious holiness, and I use that word loosely there, would have been measured by how much they adhered to the law and to the word, uh, the, the, the word of the law. So they were there on the Sabbath in the synagogue. This guy was there because he had gathered with like-minded people. This is an important notice because what would happen to him would forever separate him from like-minded people. Here's a first principle. Restoration will likely separate you from people you've been standing with that God doesn't want you standing with any longer. What do you mean by that? There was a problem for this guy. Jesus said, come forward. He did. Stretch forth your hand. He did. He touched the hand and it was healed. Now, we already know, months ago, we studied John chapter 9, a guy that Jesus healed. He was blind. They took him to the synagogue, and they said, tell us about this guy, Jesus. Is he a follower of Moses? Is he a disciple? He says, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind, and now I see. And so when he started talking back to him, it says, they put him out. We don't want anything to do with you. A guy that had been healed by the power of God, which this guy pointed out, he says, tell me. The, the blind guy, he says, tell me, has it ever been said or heard that a man born blind was ever healed? Surely this must be God. And they said, get out of here. Well, here here's the thing. You would think that when this guy's hand was healed, that they would have all crowded around and said, oh, look at that hand. Now, remember, this guy came into the room because he, too, was a Sabbath worshiper. Do you get that? He came there with the same mindset, and Jesus said, Hey, you, guy, withered hand, come here. We don't know that there was... There's no evidence that he was a Jesus believer prior to that moment. We don't even know what happened after that moment, but we do know that from that moment forward, the guy's hand was healed, and every time he would see one of the other people in the room on the following day and the day after, what's he going to do? Hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? What did he just do? You say he did that? No, I don't think for a minute he did that. I think that he was having right out there the evidence that things had changed. He could no longer think the way that he was thinking after he walked into an encounter of restoration with Jesus Christ. Restoration is going to mess with your mind and separate you from people that have been walking in a tribe of that same mindset. So expect it before you say, Father, I want to be restored. Then get ready. The club gets smaller. Okay? Point number one. There we go. Restoration will often separate you. The separate Pharisees would not have wanted. Restoration marks you. Did you know every day from that day forward, when he said, Luke, I think, is the only one that says it was his right hand. There's no evidence that there was a greeting like we do today. Uh, matter of fact, I searched for it early this morning. Uh, a greeting. But in our culture, if the right hand would have been every hand, every person you meet when you reach forward. We don't know how long it was withered. We don't know if it was days, weeks. We don't know. Withered is a general term that just meant it had been 
It, it didn't function for whatever sense. It could have been a crushed nerve. It could have been some damage. It could have been from birth. We don't know. It doesn't say it. But what we know is from that day forward, every time this man would reach out to touch one of his children, he didn't. Maybe for maybe it had gone on for years, and maybe he would reach with the, the left hand. But maybe he realized now as a Jewish father that that right hand of blessing that's referred to, he'd go, he said, Wait, I don't have to do that anymore. Every time he reached forward was a reminder of the restoration. Okay, just a brief prayer. I got one more point and then we'll pray to wrap this up. Father, I pray right now. Matter of fact, I should have prayed at point number one. Father, for those, I believe, small number of people for whom this pointedly applies today, you're doing something to change their mind. The restoration of heart and soul you're doing in them today is doing something to change their mind. And it's going to separate them from someone they've been walking with. By the way, can I just pause here? I don't know anybody's story. I haven't heard a story. I don't have a story to tell. And these kind of very specific things are weird and different for me. But I'm going to leave that laying there. Amen to that part of it, okay? Father, part number two. May you mark them irrefutably. May they know, Father, every day that they have been marked for and by restoration in Jesus' name. Now, the third thing that really comes out of one and two, restoration would change how he thought and what he would say. What's he going to say? What's he going to say after that day? How would it affected his orientation towards God? What is he going to say? It's the Sabbath and God shouldn't heal. It's the Sabbath and my hand wasn't really healed. What's he going to do? Like I said, is he going to hide that? Is he going to tuck it away? I want to declare to you today this simple word for whomever it may be. That restoration in God's initiative is to put you back the way he made you. And that he has stopped by here today, not a preacher, but the Holy Spirit has made a visitation here today to say he hasn't quit. You've associated and affiliated yourself with people who would remind you and accept that about you as normal. That withered part of your life as just part of who you are. But I believe a thus saith the Lord. We've been together 17 years you can count on one hand or maybe two the number of times I've prefaced what I've said that way. But I want to bring this full bore. Thus saith the Lord. That thing or that part about you that is dried up and withered or whatever that you've accepted as a part of who you are, God is saying to you today, it is my intention to make you back the way I made you what you're living in right now is not the way that I made you. I have other intentions. And as certainly as he spoke to that man, step out and come here. He is saying that to you right now. Amen. Okay. I've been obedient today. I know today has been different, maybe a little weird. Everyone stand to your feet. I'm 62 and I may not have learned a lot, but what I have learned at this point It's to recognize the attraction of the attempt to be profound when you should simply be obedient. 
I'll just leave those words hanging there. Father, I pray that today, in this departure, that it offer your words to your people. And I pray, as a result of that, the chains would fall, fear would bow, here and now, you would do a work of restoration in the hearts of people. Everyone, please bow your head and close your eyes. I'd like to make eye contact with the second group of people here today that God is speaking a word of restoration. I don't suppose it's going to be a large number of people. But what I suppose is it was important enough that I believe the Holy Spirit pushed aside what was otherwise planned to stop by with a thus saith the Lord for you. Okay? I want to affirm that in agreement together. You're not going to step out from where you are and come down front. This is a very intimate and personal thing, and I think it's uh, critical that we dignify those moments, okay? God is here in this room and meeting you. If you're, if you're that, if you're one of those people, I don't know, would you just lift your hand and make, let me make eye contact? You receive that, okay? You receive it in Jesus' name. Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.